thank you everyone for tuning in again for this next episode of Cyril Talks. And if this is your first time listening, um, this is a podcast that focuses on highlighting women who are behind the scenes and who are who work behind the scenes and who are driving culture, informing culture, creative women. We often know and have seen their work. We've seen campaigns they worked on. We've seen the artists that they've worked with. Um, we've seen their work in so many different areas of, of culture, but um, many times we don't get a chance learn more about those actual women. And so that's what we do here on Cyril Talks. We like to talk about not just, um, we like to meet the women, we wanna learn about the craft, we wanna learn about the journey, and uh, yeah, just delve more into careers, into the career path. So today I'm super excited because um, Tiffany Hasborn, who is a stylist, creative, director, um, costume stylist. He is here with us today. And um, you, once we start talking, you're going to see that you've literally seen her work in so many places and you've been seeing it for years. And so I'm super excited to, uh, for us to talk today and, and learn about how she got, how did she get here? <laughs> um, so thank you for joining, Tiffany. I am so excited to be here. Yes, yay. I think you've been so busy um, because you're actually on set now, which is great. I'm really happy to hear. I know COVID has made it really difficult for people to, um, and production companies to figure out how to be able to move forward. So I'm glad to hear that, that you are on set working. Yeah, super ha happy to be shooting a movie. Yeah. Every time something crazy happens, I'm like, we're shooting a movie in COVID. Like, it's like, Amazing. It's exciting. Like, we've watched everything. So it's like, it's good to have content again and to be working and to be back at work and to hear my other friends are able to go back to work. And, you know, our, our whole industry was sat down in March. And, you know, there's still lots of people who may not be able to work until next year. But, you know, we're, we're grateful and things are starting to move and it's super busy. And, I actually feel really safe and um, because, you know, working on a set where your crew is up to two, 250 to 300 people, you know, it's a real struggle to figure out how you're going to stay safe. And, you know, when you're not even allowed in a personal setting to be in groups bigger than 10. So, you know, we're learning. You know, as a department head, I, I, I'm taking like it extremely serious to like keep my department safe and to keep things functioning and moving and thinking of new ideas of how to just do things differently. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something um, that people don't often realize. Again, you know, we, we see the final product. Most people in the world see the final outcome. You see, um, you know, the film, the television show, uh, but you don't. Uh, you don't necessarily have an idea of what goes into making all of this happen and how many people are involved and how many jobs um, there are, are, how many jobs are being done. So, you know, a time like this, yeah, I think sometimes people just, everyone is definitely affected right now in one way or another, um, if not, you know, th themselves personally, but just in our speaking, um, 
you know, I think people will really get an idea of just how much goes into making all these things happen and how many people are really involved. And so I think that's, that's definitely one of the things that we want people to learn when they're listening is just like what all the roles are that are behind the scenes that so many people don't know about or you don't really learn about until until you get the opportunity to like be on set and then you start looking around and you see what people are doing but um but yeah so but yeah so i'm just um i'm glad to hear i know you're working and i know you know various people in the industry and it's just good to see that people are back at it you know but we all had to kind of adjust and back, back, back at it back at it yeah so yeah, go ahead. And it's super fun because, it's like, you know, you have your friends that have like their favorite shows. And, you know, I've, I've been, I've called like my cable company and, you know, had to explain like, you know, like something random, like, you know, what I do. And they're like, wait, so what about my show? You know, the Ozarks. I'm like, they're coming back. They're shooting now. Like, it's, it's funny because like I've met random strangers and talking to them, yeah. with, you know, trying to get someone to come in and fix your cable or something that like people have favorite shows that they're like waiting for to come back. So I think the film and TV industry being shut down affected people, whether it was you were out of a job or you were out of your favorite show Absolutely. or you're stuck at home and you normally don't watch TV. And so now you found yourself watching something you normally wouldn't because you know, before you had other things to do and now you're forced to be in the house. And so now you are into TV. And I, so, um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a good point that that's the thing about when you work in, in culture, you know, or that when you work in like, um, in television or if you work in music, it's that you are not, you're doing what you do, but it's something that's going to be experienced by huge audiences, you know? So it's, it's the impact is pretty huge. Um, so being able to be back at work doesn't just mean it's great everyone's working and it's great that it's going to be airing hopefully, you know, sooner than later, but it's also for, for the audience, you know, it's, it's entertainment and it's something that, especially during a time like this, it's something that people are, taking in more, people are seeking it out more. So yeah, it's just all works together. You're, you're in Philly right now, you said. Yeah, I'm on location on a, on, a, on a movie in Philadelphia. Okay, amazing, okay. Um, all right, so you know, I wanted to just kind of jump into learning more about how you got started. I mean, I think so many people out there say that they want to pursue, um, you know, and there's a lot of people out there who say that they want to be stylists or they think that they have certain talents and they want to figure out how to turn it into a career, but they don't know how, and it's not easy. So for those who do figure it out and who do make it and become successful at it, that's, that's why people really want to hear, like, how did you do this? How did you <laughs> make it happen for yourself? Um, so, and it's, and it's not, something, it's not something in school that you can be trained for per se. Like, you know, when, when you're, when you're in, you know, 
fifth grade and they have career day, there aren't costume designers and stylists showing up for that. You know what I mean? So most creative jobs, you know, are not taught to us. We kind of have fallen into them. I mean, we've all worked hard to get into them, but it's, it's, it's not like, you know, there's costume designers that are, that have legacies, you know, the, the, the niece and the aunt are designers. And so, you know, their mother may, may have been a supervisor or something. And it's like, I literally always knew, even when I was a, a, a wardrobe, a celebrity stylist that I wanted to switch to film and television, but like, I didn't, I didn't know what that was called. I didn't know how to get into the union. You know, I, I literally remember asking someone that hired me, you know, how do I get into the guild in LA? And the answer was, it's hard. Wow. Like no help, no, okay, this is the name of the guild. This is who you call. It, it was literally just told like, it's hard, right. AKA figure, figure it out. So, right. you know, I was, I did music for over 10 plus years and I, I always, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, it was, it, you know, I, I watched TV, you know, I wasn't outside a lot. And so TV and film and movies is just something that I've always been into. I was just someone who always, you know, remembered knowing what time my dad was going to come home from work based on what show was on television and hearing the keys in the door. Right. So, you, you know, there's, there's shows that, or movies that we have grown up to that, you know, that you can watch and that, you know, or that are classics. And so for me, that was always the goal, even as a stylist to eventually end up on film and television. Okay. And so, you know, just from just trying to be aligned with my goals and, 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 and tell people what I was trying to do and starting to be more aligned with people who did what I wanted to do, you know, about six years ago, I oh, wait, got before, a random text. Before we jump in, I want to go in order because I feel like everything is going to be like a little extra, you know, I want to make sure we get the full uh, story for like each um, like period of time, you know, like each step of the way. So um, down from the stylist. Well, I mean, I think the first question is always like, you know, like, did you know when you were young, which you've started to touch on already? Did you envision that you were going to go into a creative field and? was the thing that you're doing now, is this what you imagined you were going to be doing? And, and why? Like, what were you doing at that age that, like, made you think that, okay, this, is, this might be something I want to do and, like, pursue career-wise? So it's interesting. About a year and a half ago, I had this random thought. I, I literally picked up, I was at work, and someone was asking me did, the same question. Did you know when you were young that you were going to do this? And I thought about when I was four or five years old, I used to literally, my grandmother would keep her sewing supplies in that cookie tin, right? And so I remember my grandmother giving me the cookie tin and my mom would literally let me cut fabric 
and make clothes for my Barbies. And mm -hmm. I literally was telling someone this story and I was like, hold on a second. And I called my mom and I was like, why did you give me scissors at four years, four and five years old? Like, what were you thinking? She was like, you knew what you were doing. Like, who was I to stop you? You knew what you were doing. So when I, when I think back to being that young, you know, when you're taught, don't run with scissors, don't, you know, don't, don't touch this, don't touch that. And I'm literally, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I was great at it, but I'm cutting, I'm cutting fabric and figuring out how to sew it around the arms and put the buttons in and watching my grandmother fix a button. And so I figured out if I put the button on that way and cut something and closed it, you know, it's interesting to me because it took me being grown to call my mom and go, why would you give me scissors that young? And for her to say, cause you knew what you were doing. Right. So, you know, it literally, I have known since I was younger that I was always supposed to do something creative, uh -huh. you know, yeah. I didn't exactly, I didn't know then to what extent, but I knew absolutely something creative. Right. That was something you enjoy. Sure. You naturally gravitated to, you know, and the great thing is that your mom was actually encouraging it and supporting it, even just by allowing you, instead of doing kind of what parents will sometimes do and just be like, you know, don't do that. It's not safe or it's dangerous, but she'd like, she was like, trust, yeah. trusted you. And, you know, she let you do your thing. It's funny because that actually makes me think of um, my mom is a designer and uh, she's a clothing designer. And she says that when the way she started is her, I think mom bought her and her sister, they bought, she, she came home with a sewing machine and she came home with a typewriter. And I think they were like in their early teens. And my mom, she went over to the, she, she started working on the sewing machine. My other aunt started working on, my aunt started, um, you know, just, she was the studious one. And so she was like on the typewriter and doing a lot of writing. And my mom just like took to that sewing machine and she never stopped. And to this day, it's still what she does. Like we've never had a house without sewing machine mannequins in it. But but yeah, it's just like, it could start at such an early, it often starts at such an early age. It's just like getting support and encouragement so you keep doing it, you know what I mean? And you're not like swayed in another direction. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I also remember at 12, like I actually, ironically, I just remembered this when I came to Philly mm -hmm. because I was working on a project with one of my EPs and I thought about when I was 12, my mom and I took a trip down to Philly to see one of my cousins and we went into an antique shop and I bought a fork and spoon earring. Mm -hmm. And literally, like, I remember going to school and everyone was like, do you know your earrings don't match? And I was like, well, it's, it's a pair. And then literally everyone at school was kind of like wearing mismatch earrings and then you know, then, then based on that, I, cause I had always gone to private school, you know, I was in a preparatory school in Kew Gardens and my mom, I was like begging, like, can I please go to a different high school? <laughs> and I like literally 
because that school went from like first grade to like 12th grade. And so I literally remember my parents saying, if you can get into a specialized school, we'll let you go to a different school, but it has to be specialized. And I, and I auditioned, I tested for all these different schools and I literally got accepted to fashion industries. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, based on that, it was like, I knew from being a fashion design major in high school that I wanted to do something with fashion. And so, you know, for four years of high school where all my other friends were like, you know, going to school in Queens at Hillcrest and, you know, they're doing this. I'm on the cheerleading team and, and the school is making our uniforms. So it's like, you know, I knew I was going to do something creative based on the environment I was in. I just didn't know to like, even when I think of going to that school, there was never on career day, a wardrobe stylist, uh, you know, there was a fashion forecaster, but there was never a costume designer or anything like that. So, so it's so funny. So, you know, I've mentioned this to you before, but I know when you said private school, you know, that we went to the same school. <laughs> it's just so young, right? Like I remember, I guess when I heard your name later on, I was like, God, I remember like that name from like- It was St. John's, right? St. John's Lutheran School. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I was younger, but you know, the classes were so small. So I like, I literally remember different students' names because- yeah. I, I, I literally left there in fifth grade and then that's when I went to the preparatory school okay and then that went to 12th grade and I was like there is no way I'm staying in this school oh my goodness until 12th yeah. grade like, well, until second and then we moved to a different part of Queens we were and then we moved to Jamaica and so then I was going to public school but I felt the same way because and then I had to go back and I went to private school later so the uniform I felt the same way I was like how did I end up here? I can't believe I can't like, you know, like I love fashion too, you know? So I felt like so restricted. Like I have to wear a uniform. So restricted. So, yeah. yeah. So literally, literally. So you remember how ugly our, our St. John uniform was? Or like Mar- At least in the other. It was like, it was like, it wasn't even maroon. It was like a burgundy purple. It was like a purple gray it was, it was it was wretched and then the thing that was cool about the prep school that I went to in Kew Gardens was that it was that red plaid that gap like oh. went crazy with that year like it literally looked like they were called kilts they were like red plaid they were super I was like these are cute way <laughs> cuter than St. John's uniform and so like you could wear any color solid uh turtleneck or a white button down shirt so I used to wear like crazy tights with it or like knee high. There was way more, you know, things you could do with it than the uniform at St. John's. St. John's was terrible. Like it was not great, but, but at least this uniform was better. But then by the time I got to high school, I was just so traumatized by plaid that that, that year when plaid was everywhere, I was like, are you kidding me? The first year I don't have to wear a uniform, plaid is in style i was like absolutely not i'll be missing this trend no way honey i know uniforms that's really hard for people who are creative 
it's like the idea, but it's it's cool that at least the second one you wore, they they let you be like, you know, that there was more flexibility. So they let you kind of have fun. Yeah, because even the, the next private school I went to in Long Island, I mean, it was just, to me, those were like the worst years. I was like, I'm so miserable. Um, but okay, so you were, you did, oh, go ahead. No, I'm saying, and then to go to a fashion high school where you could wear whatever you want, I was like in heaven. I was like, what? Right. Oh, this is great. It's on. Let's get into this. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, so you know, so that's interesting that they didn't have, that they still didn't really, um, I guess, have a way of exposing students to like costume design. That's so interesting. Um, because I, I guess you would think that it would also be like beyond uh, television and film, it would also be like maybe like plays and things like that. You know, it's it seems like such a like, it's such a, an area that it makes sense for people to also go into, you know, aside from like traditional fashion. But anyway, so, um, so how did you, how did you get started? Like, what did you start? Was there like an internship or anything you did initially? You know, so initially, I went to I after I graduated high school, I went to school in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I started helping Jagged Edge make some of their clothes because Brian and Brian, especially Brian from Jagged always wanted to do custom stuff. And so I had, I found them this amazing tailor who had all these amazing fabrics. And so we would custom make all these clothes. And I remember like helping them do this stuff all the time. But then when big videos would come to Atlanta, they would always bring in a stylist from New York or LA. And I would be like, okay, Wait a minute. So, Let me just ask you, how did you meet them? Like, how did you end up working with Jagged Edge? <laughs> so, so ironically, at the time when I was in college, uh -huh. my one of my closest friends from high school actually went to school with Brian and Brandon. I think they like went to Clark or something. And then we met and Brian and I, Brian and I started hanging out and we were dating. And he was like, well, and at the time it was just hilarious because I didn't know they were in a group. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would talk about fashion and he would talk about his group. And then like, I would help him start like, you know, coming up with ideas like, well, what about this? And what about that? And that was like kind of our thing that we had in common between the music and the fashion was that he would want to make these custom pieces. Okay. And so I would help him. Like I helped him find the tailor that started doing a lot of their stuff. Mm -hmm. But then at the time, whenever there was like a video or something big, the label would hire someone. And right. then I would be like, well, that, that needs to be the job that I have. Like who, who's hiring those people? Right. So then I literally remember starting to actively like figure out like, okay, what is that job called? Who does that? What, what What is this? Who's doing this video? What is that? And then researching it. And so ironically, I ended up um, moving back to New York. Mm -hmm. Actually, not even. I ended up getting a random call um, 
after him and I kind of had like went our separate ways from who from a from a woman who's still now my mentor, Susan Moses. Okay. At the time, um, you know, Susan used to be Brandy stylist. She worked with her on Moesha, and I got a random call um, from someone who was like helping to manage me at the time to figure out how to be a stylist to do the Liskin Mary remix video. Okay. Wow. I was like. Of course, this would be the first video that I helped. So um, I helped Susan do the video. She ends up becoming one of my, like, fantastic. She's still one of my mentors to this day. And I was like, you know what? It's time for me to go home. And I literally left Atlanta, packed up my stuff, and moved back to New York and started um, picking up styling jobs in New York. Um, uh one of the, the publicists at uh, Epic Records, Laverne Kennedy, Laverne Perry Kennedy, um, started giving me opportuni- opportunities. You know, it would be, you know, I, I, have, I have a shoot, but I really kind of need a makeup artist. Do you think you could do makeup for guys? And I'll be like, I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. She's like, it'll be super easy. And so I would go to shoot and I would end up doing the makeup, but then I would talk to the photographer and then the photographer would need help testing, doing test shoots. And so I would start styling the test shoots. And then as I started building my resume, I started getting calls to style videos. Okay. And so, um, you know, I started, I basically started, you know, doing different small odd jobs and then, um, one of my closest friends to this day, Yvette Davila, um, was managing Angie Martinez at the time. Mm-hmm. And Gabi, who works with French, well, used to work with French Montana, you know, introduced um, Yvette and I, and I ended up working with Angie for years. Mm-hmm. And then from being on Angie's video, I ended up meeting Busta. And then I ended up styling Busta from Busta. I got to, you know, that was the Violator camp, right. which was, you know, they had everyone. They had 50, Missy, Busta, everybody. So then I got to 50. Then I started styling 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from 50, I, you know, I started dressing Nas. And it's like, once you start going, you just start building this career. Yeah. But people always ask me what's the end goal and I would be like tv and movies tv and movies tv and movies and yeah while I was while I was styling 50 my mentor called me because the publicist who used to be the publicist on Moesha Mm -hmm. was the head of publicity now for Disney Channel and at the time my mentor was working with Queen Latifah and she didn't have time. And she was like, they need a stylist for this new movie. It's supposed to be, it's a made for Disney movie. You know, they need a stylist that can basically help them with the publicity. Mm-hmm. And I started working with the cast of High School Musical. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what? literally. Before we jump into the TV, I wanted to ask. So, while you were styling artists, it once you, as you said, you started, one thing led to the next. Now, I think people need to hear, like, what do you think? Because this is the thing, like, there's, obviously there's a reason people kept calling, 
right? And I think that people need to, there's, there's, people need to hear like what it is you're doing. Because they know, you know, we need somebody to do this. So we're going to call Tiffany because we know she's going to get it done. What is, what is it about your approach um, and the way that you work with people that you think gets, you know, keeps people feeling confident about bringing you in? I remember Andrew would always say to me, you'll only be new for a little bit. And I think at the time I, I was new. Mm -hmm. I had a, a lot of the hot people at the time. Like I had 50 at the beginning of his career. You know, um, I had I had Busta at, you know, still at the, at the top of his career. And I think everyone has a different story. One of, one of my things that I think that made people hire me was that I was able to keep my word. So if I said I was going to do something, I did it. Mm -hmm. I had a very tight circle of assistance that, you know, people that I trusted that kept, you know, artists are very private people. And so I had a very private camp, you know, a, a team of assistants that, you know, was able to get on set, be professional, you know, not commingle with the artists, mm -hmm. you know, that that basically was able to keep things professional. I stayed on budget. I was pleasant to deal with, even in very, you know, very traumatizing situations. You know, I, I was on the set of Busta's video when his bodyguard was killed. Mm. So, you know, it's, I think what helped my career was that I had integrity and I was able to keep my word and I was able to do things professionally. I've always been professional and everyone has a time, like Ange says, where they're new. And at the time where I came up, I was, I was new. I was the new kid on the block. I had, I was in the right circles at the right time around the right people at the right award shows. You know, I, knew everybody because I had come out of Atlanta. So, you know, I was able to, one of the first album covers I've ever done was Little John's Put Your Hood Up. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Which at the time he was, his A&R was, was Brian Leach, who, mm -hmm. you know, ended up taking over and starting Polo Grounds. And so what I was able to do when I was new, I was able to 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 grow with people who grew in the industry right. you know brian went from being a and r to being the owner of polo grounds mm -hmm. so i think it was i think it was relationships i think it was being hopeful mm -hmm. you know having a good having a good attitude about when things weren't great how to just get things done mm -hmm. you know did i go through a phase where you know I, I came up in a time where, you know, we didn't have Instagram, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so it, you, a lot of your business was word of mouth. And so, you know, it was just about people being able to say good things about you to get you referred to your next job. Right. And I think that's super important. So important. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, I think that the reason I wanted that to be, um, you know, for you to touch on that is that really is true. So like really across our industry, like obviously 
talent is super important. Um, but in addition to that, it's also reliability. It's how you, it's like artist relations. It's like how you interact with artists where artists feel com it's that comfort level. Like that goes such a long way, the relationships, the comfort level. And then again, so it's like so many, it's like different areas you're managing because you're dealing with the artists and what they are going to be comfortable with. And then, but you're also dealing with the label and making sure that they're getting what they need and that you're meeting the budget. So there's so, sometimes people don't, again, people will say, I want to be a stylist because, oh, you have great taste or you know what the, what's, the new trends are, you know how to design, that's great. But there's so much more that goes into the, the job, you know? I tell people all the time, it's called the music business for a reason. You have to be able to do business. Like you, it's not, I mean, and listen, I, I came up in a time where, you know, that I bought my first car off of the, you know, PIMP video, they were throwing money at these budgets. Right. But, you know, you literally, that's not money for you to go buy a car. Like you have to do the work to get the business and, and, and stay on task and make sure that you can build relationships. You know, I remember showing 50 Evisu jeans and he's like, how much are these jeans? I don't even want my ass to get accustomed to a jean that costs that much. And it's like, we're not paying for them. Like, what do you mean? Or like, you know, Dolce & Gabbana is giving us this stuff. You know, you're, you're artists of the year. Like, it's about relationships. You know, do I, do I, when I, when I pull these things from Dolce & Gabbana, am I really putting them on you? Or am I trying to, you know, like you have to do business. It's all about business. Even now when people say, well, I, I was, a, you know, when I talk to other stylists, oh, well, I want to be a costume designer now. Listen, if you have problems as a stylist, you're not just going to be able to jump over and become a costume designer. Like if you didn't learn your lessons in what is troubling you in the business of being a stylist, it's going to be even harder for you to be a costume designer. You know, I went from being a stylist of, of having three, three, maybe two, two, three assistants if I was lucky, till I run a department on a big project of 10 to 15 people. And so the business, it's the film business, it's the TV business, it's the music business, it's the fashion business. You have to be impeccable with your word and you have to do business. You don't get to sit around and smoke with artists. You know, I don't care how cool they say you are. If one thing goes wrong, guess what? The, the, that's when they start looking at you. Well, well, maybe you shouldn't have been smoking with me. Exactly. And that's, um, and, and that's the thing. People, you know, it's, people get caught up in the idea of what this looks like. Because it looks fun and it looks, and it's supposed to, right? Because it's entertainment. But that's not the part of it that we're partaking in. We're getting the job done. <laughs> so we need we're, to make sure that it looks and that it looks fun. But that part, making it look that way, isn't the easy, fun part. You know? So um, I think that's why, yeah, I mean, people come to it sometimes for the right reasons. They come into it thinking it's about attending 
clothes and it's about going to the after parties and being, uh, you know, sh sh uh, rubbing shoulders with people. But that's not really what it is. And so that's why I always want to make sure, especially sometimes people don't realize, I feel like stylists, people don't always understand all that, you know, that final look hit the carpet or what the video looks like all the work all the the relationships and all of the i mean for two seconds i thought i wanted to do Dallas, and i did a few went through a few returns having to deal with the returns and the receipts i was like mm. the returns and the receipts are the worst listen that's like the listen that's the worst part of the job it's like you think you just get to buy all this stuff and then you just, you don't, you don't have to turn in receipts or show where you spent the money or you don't return pieces that are, you know, that are, that you didn't use. I mean, I've been on tour. I've, I've been on tour with Missy Elliott and gone to Abu Dhabi. Like we've, I've been to Abu Dhabi and people are like, how is it? I'm like, I can't really tell you. I don't know. I was in the hotel in rehearsal. You know, I was up for 15 hours. You know, my assistant and I literally sewing stuff last minute because we got hit with Hurricane Sandy right before we left. And so the tailor couldn't finish. And so we were finishing stoning things and doing things and, you know, putting, putting the glow in the dark sticks and the glow up suits. Like it's, you know, it's not, is it, can it be fun? Absolutely. Is it, are these opportunities that are priceless when I look back in them in my life? Yes, but you have to do the work. You don't go on tour to Abu Dhabi and get to sightsee in Abu Dhabi. It doesn't work like that. It just, it's not, I only saw the mall because I needed some extra stuff. And so you literally just run really quick to go get something. And while you're there, if you can look around and see something great, but yeah. that's not, that's not that's not what it's about. Right. But okay, so a lot of the people styled, I mean, they all had pretty distinct styles. They all have very specific personalities. And when each of the people you named, you kind of, you think of something, there's like a persona there, there's something that you associate them with. So how did you approach styling each of these people? Like, what kind of, what was the process? Did many of them, like how much of kind of figuring it out with them based on what they, what their ideas are versus what your vision is? How does that typically work? You know, like. So, so for each person, it's different, right? So I'll give, I'll give a couple of different scenarios of like artists that I worked with in what our process was and especially working with people like missy and busta who originally started with june ambrose who it was like one of the first pioneers in doing that you know they had already had their own distinct style and so by the time that they hired me and i worked with them it was a matter of me taking what i knew about them but updating it with what I thought was new and relevant. And so, you know, for Busta, we would make, you know, um, a lot of, we would do a lot of custom stuff with him, you know, with Missy, 
all her stuff was custom. And so it was about finding someone who would make, you know, really great um, leather pieces because, you know, she, it was like, okay, well, let's, let's do jackets. You're comfortable in jackets or you, you only wear Adidas. So let's figure out how do we custom these Adidas suits. Um, when I started working with Nas, Nas wanted to wear, he was into labels, you know, a lot of designer labels. So it was about, you know, how do we, how do we get Balenciaga, which at the time wasn't necessarily cutting bigger sizes. And so are you okay with that fact that your stuff might be a little tighter than you're normally used to? Because we're switching gears into this more of a designer slim fit. Um, you know, when I started working with French Montana, one of the first great things that we did was he was on the freshman cover and you know he would randomly call me and he was like tiff i want to wear a bear head and i'm like what and so literally i had to like find a taxidermy that had a bear i was like okay so i figured out because he would like have these random ideas like i want to wear a bear and i'm like what so it's like, do you find a fake bear? Do you find a real bear? And then, you know, I've worked for a really long time with 5001 Flavors who, you know, they have been designing stuff for the greats. Like they used to do all the B.I.G. stuff. You know, they do, they work with Fat Joe. They've worked, I mean, they've made some of the best custom pieces in hip hop to date. And so, you know, it was Guy and I from 5001 saying, okay, he was like, you know, ironically, I have a fur coat, a fur vest here. We can do, we could take the fur vest. And I'll be like, okay, so what if I send me a picture of the fur vest? I'll call a taxidermy. And then we found a, a, a dead, a bear rug. And then he put the head of the bear, attached it to the, to the fur vest. Okay. You know, so, so, that, so it's, it's literally using your brain and, and it stunk by the way because it was a dead bear. Like I literally had to tell French, this thing stinks. Like, yeah. I don't care. I mean, they even built, they ended up building like a Twitter page for the freaking bear. Like it was the, it was the craziest thing. Um, with 50, we used to do a lot of military videos, like popping them things. And, you know, at the time he was, he was usually, he was using markers to color two exist tank tops. Yeah. And that's when Mark Echo came in and yeah. like, they created G-Unit clothing. So the things that we were custom making in his music videos turned into his clothing line. Um, with A. Marie, it was, you know, I did the shoes for the One Thing video. And so it became a thing where everyone, because she, prior to working with me, she had worn the Manolo Blahnik Tims when she did the One Thing video and had great shoes again then she had a shoe game and so then it was like okay this is your thing so then it was the pressure of always having like you know what's your shoe game like you know i couldn't just bring her any kind of shoes right. um fast forward to years later working with lena wave okay well lena wave doesn't wear female clothing so how do you put someone in a male suit and make it work on a female body. She's 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 still a female. So finding a tailor that could custom her 
suit for the Emmys. And then I remember sitting there and she wins. And so now it's like this whole, there was this whole two year role layout of her being this Emmy award winner that wore men's clothing. And so how do we make men's clothing work on a female body? And so I think what I would say, if, if I, if I look back, it was always how to custom things, how to figure out the hard things like French wanted to do something different. And so, you know, I remember having Versace take me in their vault on the Fifth Avenue store and pulling out, you know, the silk Versace shirts, kind of like how Big used to wear, but then with the scarves and because he's Moroccan, we used them for him to wrap around his head. And then GQ did a huge article about it. And so it's always been, how do you take your client's idea and then elevate it to the next level? Like how, how do you make it a thing? And how do you make yourself different? Like, how do you do what everyone else isn't doing? Right. And it's not easy and everything is not always going to be different, but it's having those iconic moments right. to where, you know, how, how do you create iconic moments? How do you create iconic pieces so that when you track it back, it's like, you know, how, how do you create these moments that people will always remember? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think iconic moments and iconic pieces and moments. And that's something that, you know, for us who have been in this for a while, like we, we want to keep that idea alive. Certain artists think like when you're describing some of these looks, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, we remember them. It just, it, right up and to understand what it takes to make an art a star you know like that's the image and what they look like in these moments that's all part of the story that's why we remember them that's what makes them a star because those moments they 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 stick you know um and also just being a team player. Like I remember when we did Nas's Street Disciple cover, it literally, because I have a degree in computer animation, when I was talking to Chris Feldman, who's like one of my favorite art directors to work with, it was like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a way to shoot him as the 12 disciples. And it was literally me using like, him understanding graphics and me understanding graphics like okay well why don't we dress him as the 12 different disciples sit him in the 12 different spots and then we photoshop it in later and so like how do we make this make sense so that it's all a part of the vision of what they're trying to achieve because if you can't even understand it you're just like so I have to dress him 12 different times yes yes (laughs) You need to make him 12 different people. It is literally called the 12 disciples. So get to it. You need 12 options. So, you know, it's it's being able to take a vision or reading a treatment and bringing that to life. And I think I'm super grateful for that process because it's what makes me a good costume designer. You know, literally creating iconic moments in television you know, on a show like Atlanta, where 
you know, you have a, you have an episode of, you know, alligator man. And so like, what does Cat Williams as the crazy uncle look like? You know, what is, what is hysterical? Oh, he's running down the street. You know, it'd be hilarious if he runs down the street in um, some crazy slippers or, you know, um, you know, some crazy sneakers in a probe. But what you know what also would be funny when he's outside, give me somebody across the street that has a bonnet on that's in her house coat that's like the nosy neighbor. It's figuring out all those things that you think doesn't matter, but they matter. And Cat Williams ended up actually winning a, a Emmy for his performance on that. So it's like, you know, it's also being able to add to creating moments that are just, you know, it's, it's not about, oh, I need his clothes to be iconic. It's about being a team player in an iconic moment. You know, the first time Lena created um, Boomerang, I was so excited to like be able to work on the remake of that show. I actually ran into Francine Tanchuk, who was the original designer on the movie. So it's like even even showing nods to the movie, there was a there was a hat that Holly Berry had on in the original movie that we found a crocheter to remake the hat for the girl playing her daughter. So it's like all those iconic moments that you're like, what do I remember about Boomerang? The clothes were fire back then. Okay, so what do I do? Okay, well, if she's the daughter of Marcus Graham and Angela, what would she do? Well, her style would literally be the two of them meshed. And so it's, it's just, you know, it's constantly challenging yourself to get to the best version of what you can actually bring to life off of paper. Right. I feel like in listening to you, it feels like, it sounds like you're really good at like immersing yourself into the story. So, so it's more than like saying, okay, this is what I'm going to be, you know, how to this person. It's also like, what's the environment and, and, and what's the storyline and what are the relationships here and how are they interacting with each other? And yeah. So it's funny because when I shoot her, so I remember I was doing Ballers and the creator of Ballers was, is the, ex, was the executive producer on the TV show Shooter. And I remember loving the movie Shooter. And, um, you know, for me, that was such a huge challenge because, you know, whereas I've always done music or Ballers was fashion, this was military, right? And so, I remember sitting in the airport and telling my dad on my way to moving to California that I'm nervous. I was like, I'm, I'm nervous. Like, you know, I don't know everything yet about, you know, uniforms. Like now I can speak military, no problem. Like class A uniform, first sergeant, this like, but that takes time. Right. And so my dad, who's actually in the military was in the military I said, I'm nervous. And he said, because he called me, he said, you okay? I said, I I'm nervous. He said, nerves keep you sharp. Mm. And they do. They keep you sharp. I literally, I would make it my business if I messed something up, like calling like a class A uniform or like, I would be like, grade A? It's like, no, it's not a grade. It's the class. So like, although I had a military person who 
just helped me handle the uniforms. I made it my business to spend time with this guy. And FYI, my military guy, Murray Lance, like this man worked on Little House on the Prairie. Like he's an OG. So like I would make it my business to go back there. And when he would show me things, if I didn't know, I would be like, Murray, teach me. What is this? What is this stripe? The tech advisor, I would be like, explain to me why someone would do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, watching the movie and then you have Ryan Phillippe and Omar Epps who are like the younger version of that. It's like, what do I think would be young and cool? What What's the young, cool version of that? And so for Ryan, it turned into you know, how, how do we make this cool? Right. And so how is it not boxy military clothes? And so it just, it, my nerves kept me sharp. I was constantly thinking, which in turn led me to doing my first movie, which was a Tom Clancy movie. It was like, by the time I sat in a room with all these men, and it's funny because with military shows and movie, there's not a lot of females around. And, you know, you're usually in an environment with high testosterone and all these egos. And it's, you know, it's, it's never our job as a woman to match male energy with male energy, right? And so it's, it's being able to be confident in, in what you're learning and humble enough to fit in, but being strong enough to stand in a room and say, no, well, actually they would do this and they would. And so just using every experience of like, what do I know about Tom Clancy movies? Okay. Yes. You have the original, you know, you know, the red Octobers and the, and the, and, the, and those legendary movies that we know, but no, most guys, because I have tons of cousins, I have, I have brothers that play video games. And so what do they know about Tom Clancy? The video game. Okay, well, what's the first thing that they do? They build their, they build their outfits, they build their man. Mm -hmm. And so like, that was the thing that I sold Michael B. Jordan on why I should do that movie, because it was like, let's build let's build what it what it what is your what does your character look like like what what how do how do we make this 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 old version of a movie young cool hot you know the kids that play the video games like what makes them want to tune in and watch this how do we make this cool and so you know and and you do it for the culture so like ironically you know, Michael B. Jordan is running around killing Russians in Yeezy boots. <laughs> so, you know, because it's a military style boot. So, you know, it's always that factor too of making sure, especially now in today's climate, that the cultures is represented properly in what is on camera. You right. know, speaking up sometimes and saying, we wouldn't do that, or that's not accurate, or you know, did, uh, who told you that we like that? Like, that's, you know, sometimes going against the grain, but also being PC about it. You know, my mom is Cuban. And so I, I was on a show right before COVID hit and they were trying to find these stereotypes. And I was like, mm, right. that's not really accurate. So, you know, it's, it's also being soft-spoken enough to be heard, but stern sure enough to speak up right right 
I don't want to call any shows out, but it's like, I remember being younger and like watching certain shows and, and going, well, who would do that? Like, who would wear that to commit a crime? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who... Dope boys don't stand on corners with labels. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 very interesting because it's you know you have people that aren't of the culture creating content for the culture, and so you know there's a lot of people that say that's not your job. Like stay in your lane. That's above your pay grade. But then you also have a responsibility to hope. Like one of the things I love the most about working with Steven Levinson, who's Mark Wahlberg's manager who created Ballers and was the EP on Shooter is that, you know, I had football clients and that I knew that culture. And for him, it was important to say, is this accurate? And I'll be like, I'm be honest, no, it's not. Like, this is not, we would not do this or this is, this is a stereotype and I'm disappointed. Like, you know what I mean? To have that relationship, to yeah. say that, so. You know, absolutely. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, that's the integrity of the show. Or that's the integrity of, you know, the outcome, the product, final outcome. You know, it's like people are going to call that out. So somebody needs to call it out before everybody else does, you know? So, um, but I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't actually, back when you had brought up um, Lena Waite, I, was, I had noticed. And I was so. Like, wow, there's just like such a great kind of, um, she just had a really great look that she, in my mind at that time, I was like, she figured out just like a really kind of cool look that felt very now that I think um, it, it was like something that her own, you know, it wasn't based on like what you saw other people like whoever however they came together this is like like this is this looks really good and the great thing and then the great I, thing with lena i found i think i saw on your instagram i was like tiffany but like that was well, great she's been looking great but the thing is with lena that was very collaborative like it wasn't i can't take credit for all of her style like it was it was a lot of it was collaborative like the rainbow cape for, you know, the Met Gala. Like we remember getting the sketch sketches and we were just like, I don't feel yet like it's there and just pushing the envelope. We were like, maybe a gold cape, maybe this cape. Let's, let's keep, let's keep pushing, pushing. And then I remember when we finally got the sketch of the rainbow and she was like, what do we think? And I was, and, 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 and I've had, I've been very fortunate in my career to be able to work with people that are strong enough personalities that I can have hard conversations with. Right. And so for that to be her first Met Gala and us to say, okay, I'm going to be honest. The, 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 the theme is you know, we're, 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 we're walking a line here. It's the church, it's Christianity. Like, is that, she's like, are, are, are we scared to do this? And I was like, she made me want to be fearless. Like, she was like, I'm, I'm, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not scared. 
Like, fuck that. That's who I am. That's what I'm doing. And I remember sitting there going, shit, like, is this what we're doing for Matt Gala? And she's like, this is what we're doing. I'm like, then this is what the fuck we're doing. She's like, are we doing the right thing? And it's like, you know what? If you're going to do this, we got to own this. Well, I'm going to own that shit. Get me the rainbow cake and make them put the brown at the bottom, too. (laughs) That was a moment. I love that. It was was it was it was a it was a moment and it yeah it was it was a moment and it was iconic you know to this day people have like you know rainbow cape pins and stuff like that but i it 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 literally was the epitome of what i had always in my career thought which was if you're going to do something own it like don't be afraid to have the conversation, you know, the hard conversation with someone where both of us are going back and forth, like, are we doing this? Are we not doing this? No, fuck that. We're doing that. And and owning it and then it becoming a thing. And so, you know, yeah, it's why I always tell people, you know, do you like it? Yeah. Well, I'm scared. If you're scared, put it back. Like, don't wear it. Don't do it. I think I've learned that like as long as you can own something that that's where you know if you're if you're pushing the envelope in something if you're you know if you're not sure then don't do it but that if you are and you can like own it and feel good about it then that's what you do that's 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 then you're making the right choice for you because then you can stand by it because Lena and I were definitely prepared to like be like, okay, the church might come for us, but <laughs> this, is, this is who this is who this is who she is, and she's and, and she's here to represent people that have no representation, right? Haven't had a voice, and so, you know, I'm 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 always gonna be grateful for her to trust me to have that hard conversation, like. Right. This is what we're doing. And then and then just through being with her, it's like I remember, you know, doing the press for Ready Player One and her introducing me to Steven Spielberg. I'm like, this is insane. Like I literally was on two TV shows at the same time. I was doing shooter and ballers, but then I'm on the Warner Brother lot doing press for her to do Ready Player One and I'm meeting Spielberg and I'm just like, you know. For every girl or guy that's out there young that thinks they, I tell my friends all the time now when they're like, well, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm like, it's none of your business. The how is not your business. Mm. What is your business is the vision to be able to see yourself doing it because they will tell you all the time you know, this, this isn't meant for, I mean, I did a movie in Germany where they made it extremely hard for me. You know, I didn't speak the language, you know, the producer gave me a lot of crap, you know, because I was new, you know, I was, I was reminded I was a guest in someone else's country, Mm. you know, by another American. And so the how is not our business. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's the end goal. No matter how hard they made it for me on that movie, I'm listen. I I worked my ass off to get here, and you can make this as hard as you want, but I'm not leaving. 
Right. And so it's about, it's about the consistency of doing the work of, of just being diligent and moving forward. The how is none of your business. You know, I'm, I'm currently on an Adam Sandler movie produced by him and LeBron. I would have never envisioned three years ago, how, how do I get an Adam Sandler movie? I remember when I had to call the movie department of my agency mm-hmm. and introduce myself to my movie agent to do my deal for the Tom Clancy movie. Like, hey, I'm up for a movie. He's like, Tiffany, you don't know me. I follow you on Instagram. You gave me a ride home one night, mm-hmm. you know, because he was with my TV agent. He was like, in Atlanta, I'm hurt. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> this is great. Hey. Can you help me? Like, I'm up for this movie. Can you help me? And so it's also a reminder to be kind. Like I was kind, I gave them a ride. I didn't have to do that. But because I was kind, the ride home, he's like, I'm fucking hurt. You don't remember me? I'm like, I do remember now. I didn't realize you were the movie agent. He's like, I am. Okay, what are we doing? And so, you know, it's a reminder to always be nice to people because you never know when something will circle back. A hundred. I always um so okay we definitely talked about the tv tv and film but i want to talk about just how you when did you feel that it was time to make that transition and how did you do it like was it a set decision where you're like okay this is my goal by the end of the year or like how did it happen So when I started working with High School Musical and started doing press for the Disney movies and realized, you know, High School Musical was one of the highest viewed made for TV movies until they did Teen Beach Movie, which I then worked on the press for that as well. I realized, okay, you know what? This environment feels good for me, right? Like you know, they're organized, they're, they're helpful, the budget is there, they function different than when you're, you're doing music videos, you know, they, they, they're, they're a lot more organized, when I had to dress them in the clothes from the shows, it was all labeled, and I was just like, I need to do more of this, and this is why I love to tell people, the how is none of your business, I didn't know how I was going to get a, a TV show, I literally got a random text from someone who got my number from someone else that was like, Hey, I'm looking for a costume designer. Are you in the union? And I I, I had been registered in the union. I wasn't even fully a, a union member yet, but I remember just every day manifesting that like this area, this feels good working with these type of people. This feels great because, you know, I started music, doing music videos at 20 something years old. And as I got older, you know, I started to look for more stability. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wanted something a little bit more stable. You know, I had, I had bought my first house at 29. I had mortgage to pay. I was just like, you know, I can't wait 90 days to get paid. And so, you know, this is what will help me do what I love to do on a on the same if not bigger scale and so it was just 
learning how to manifest. It was, it was, it was literally, you know, humbling myself to sometimes say, okay, I'll do this for less money because I need to get around these people to know so that they can see, look what, look what I can do. I'm here doing it. I'm pleasant to work with, you know, can you help me get more jobs like this? And so it's, 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 it's not, not always about the money because the money will come. It's more about the opportunity and what you do with it when you have it. Right. (laughs) That is so true. And, and uh, I think people really need to hear that. Um, That is like such a key thing you said, because we understand that, but I think that now it seems to be up for debate. I think people aren't, don't necessarily, see the value in that they are looking to you know they want to know where to send their invoice for the minute they walk in the room well this is why i'm glad i didn't come up in in time of instagram right because people will literally they will literally look at what they see and think oh that was easy for you to get what you don't know is that i had to style for you know, six years to buy a house. I had to, you know, um, I had to miss family events for 10 years to get this type of client. I had to eat shit for 13 years to get to this. And guess what? Every time you get to a new stage, new level, new devil. (laughs) It's never, it's never, oh, I've made it. You know what I mean? It's never, oh, we're here. No, it's literally every time it's something new. It's you're literally going to deal with some new level, new devil. And so right now it, it's interesting because when I do interview for jobs, I've, I've gotten offered three jobs in the past month. I've pretty much booked all of them. And I, and I don't know if it's necessarily it yes it's it has a lot to do with work but a lot of it has to do with the fact that i'm like at in this day and age in this climate you got to be kind you know what i mean like you got to be good to people because i also feel like with everything going on talented people are a dime a dozen you know mm-hmm. hard work will outdo talent when talent is 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 lacking and being kind will help jump that the extra mile and so in a time where you know people are now working under more extreme conditions i think one of the things that resonate the most and i say this to my agent even before they bring me people are they good people you know are they good people it's like i i want I want to work with people that are good people too. You know, not only am I trying to be a good person, but are these good people? Because I think it's important. Yeah, it goes a long way. And I think it also speaks to now, you know, there's also the idea that people also want to work with you. Like they need what you have to bring to the table, your expertise. So now, you know, then you reach a point where you're kind of interviewing them. <laughs> like, is this where I need to be? Is this the environment I need to be in? Can I work? And I literally learned that at the top of 2020. 
uh-huh. you know, I found myself, I found myself interviewing people like they were interviewing me. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've paid some dues and I, and I, although I know I'm not there, but are you my kind of person too? You know, and I think it's important to get to a point in your career after you've, you've done the work to, to, to start to push yourself to pick environments that you know you can thrive well in. Because again, it's not, you know, it's not always gonna be about the money. You know, I've had my agents be like, what do you want? We could tell them they, they want you, what do you want? And it's like, I don't want the drama. Like I, something is not right. You know, there's something here that is off. And my gut says, no, like it literally has taken me 15 plus years in my career to finally listen to my gut and say, no, <laughs> no. Right. I'm not. Yeah, you know, you've seen yeah. it all, right? You've seen every scenario. At this point, you're like, mm, I know when I see a red flag or I know when it just feels a little. See the flag. It's waving, it's in my face. And so, no, it's a no, <laughs> like, yeah. it's a no. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's interesting because I, I literally just got asked this week, you know, someone asked me, how, how do you deal with transitioning from one job to another? Mm-hmm. And I literally worked six years straight, five years, no break. And COVID everything shutting down in the pandemic made me realize you have to take a break. Mm-hmm. You have to take one oh, just yeah. for your mental sanity to be able to spot the red flags because it's right. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. There's so many pieces. It's not, yeah. Like people like to work with people that they no, it's not even just that you like, but that you're also, it's also about like the outcome on all sides. It's like, you know, that it's going to also impact the outcome. And ultimately it's like, it's your work. It's like, okay, am I going to be able to do my work in the best way possible and like have the outcome that I want to see, you know, I have like, am I set up for success? Do I have like all the right pieces and support I need to make it happen? Um, so when did you start? So what led what led to Ballers? Like how, how did that happen? So I literally, I literally had been doing the Disney Channel stuff, and then ironically, I started working with athletes, and I kept saying, I want, I want, I want, I want to, I want to work for Disney Channel. I want to do a Disney show. I want to do a Disney show, and I got the random text about doing um ballers and I wasn't I wasn't in the union and I remember texting the designer back at the time Marion Toy and I called my mentor and I was like what do I do I text her and she didn't hit me back and so what do I do and she was like put your performance before your pride and pick up the phone and call her and I was like oh okay I could do that And I literally called her and I was like, hey, 
this is and I I literally just was like you know I don't know if you got busy but like I but I but I always keep that in the back of my mind because my pride was saying well I don't want to stalk her I don't want to you know I don't want to hit her I don't want to and my performance was follow up and so the joke to this day six years later is Marion will say I'm in line at Starbucks and so I'm calling you because she's like, you know, and, and, and I, and I do it all the time. Like you look at a text and you put your phone down and you forget to answer somebody, but you know, it's about, I would tell people that are, that are trying to get into this field, follow up. People are busy. It's not personal. Stop taking everything so personal. Everyone has things going on. You know, everyone isn't going to be kind. You know, it's figure out what's important for you and what type of environment you can thrive in to be the best version of yourself and choose that. You know what I mean? For me, I like good communication. So I realized that I tend to hire people who are good communicators. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have, you know, one of my, you know, one of my longest uh, team members that I work with, who's a shopper, I've turned her into an ACD, I've promoted her to a supervisor. When we first met on Shooter, five years ago, she was super quiet and would, you know, wouldn't talk and didn't want to have conversations. And I basically was just like, you know, if you're not going to talk to me, that's a deal breaker for me. Like I need communication, whether I want to hear it or not, you know, it's like you, I, I have figured out, I have taken the time over 10 plus years to say what works for me, not what works for somebody else, not what works. And, and, and listen, and before I had my own department, I had to work with what worked for who I worked for Mm -hmm. and adapting to that. And so I just think, make notes when people when I was assist when I was an assistant I remember the things that made my life difficult as an assistant and so I use that time to say what would I do differently as a boss when I decide that it is my time to run a department you know am I okay with people you know working for me that are nasty to each other am I okay with people who don't want to function as a team no, well, that's not very helpful because we're all working against each other. And so it's been really hard, but I realize I've turned every bad experience into a learning lesson. Like how that, that was shitty. Okay. How do we make it better? Right. And when I didn't do that, I found myself getting the same lesson over and over again, worse. You know, I was like, okay, this is now the second time this has come up or the third time that's come up. What, 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 what is, why is this happening? And so, you know, I just, I encourage people to stop taking things so personal. Yeah. It's not, it's not not personal. Right. You know, I, I, I I realized for a really long time, like people would think, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I remember I had this one assistant. She was like, I would see you all the time. You wouldn't say anything. I was like, I wear glasses. And (laughs) I, I have a stigmatism. And so I can't put my glasses on in the morning because it takes too long for my eyes to adjust. And so I'm pretty much walking around all day with no glasses. Right. So I didn't see you. Like, right. like, I just didn't see you. Like, I, like, 
I'm not ignoring you. I can't see you if you're over there. So like, you know, I just, it's, it's like little things that I, that I've realized over the years, like people that they take personal, that it's like, it's really not personal at all. It's like, you know, I, you know, when I go to dinner with my friends, I learned for years, like, you know, sometimes they feel a way that you're working at dinner. So now I try to like make a conscious effort years later that I'm not the assistant anymore to put my phone down. You know, I tell my assistant, I'm going to dinner for two hours. So if you need something, text me and I'll get back to you when I'm done. So you know, it's just, it's all, it's all life lessons. Right. Yeah. Creating, creating your boundaries. And yes, the lessons are so crucial. I mean, that's how you, and, and you, and you don't learn them. It's actually, you, you learn, job. you know, you learn, by, you learn by doing, there's no other way. Somebody can sit here and tell you, and tell, you know, tell you what, whatever their own experience was. And yeah, it's good listen and it's good to have a mentor which is great that you had a mentor by the way um but yeah like on the job and like something didn't quite work out as planned okay like do a uh do a recap you know <laughs> so a little bit more of this a little less of that next time were there particular television or television shows or films that you watched maybe growing up or just even later in life that were really inspiring that kind of contributed to like you really getting excited about doing this. Yeah. Sex in the City was amazing for me. My my really good friend Damon Lott, um, he um he, he's in the music industry. I went to stay with him and his wife. Um for a few weeks um when she had just had her baby their 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 daughter their oldest daughter and Jules and I were in the house and she was like you you've got to see the show Sex in the City and I remember binge watching I think at the time it was only like two maybe a season or two and I binge watched it and I was just like what the hell like what is like the fashion was just amazing to me you know watching watching movies like love and basketball juice um you know love jones uh tv shows like you know um the cosby show um you know that just to me you know a different world i mean a different world made me want to go away to college you know what I mean? Like I, I was just like, wait. So let me get this straight. We we could we we go to college and everyone's young and we run the whole city and you know it. There were all these things that like influenced me either in life, in my career, or just that I found myself escaping for however long that film and or TV show lasted and being able to just be obsessed. I mean. My best friend and I still watch Friends like it just came out. Like I literally, if I could turn on Friends right now and watch it, like I'm not, like I've never seen the episode and laugh at it all over again. You know, um, new shows, uh, the last season of The Affair, 
just went off like last year, but like shows like that, that make me say, you know what, this is such a, a, a well-written show. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the costumes aren't even distracting to me. And so being able to experience all these different things that make me think of how I want to approach what I'm going into and reminding me to put my performance before my pride because if I didn't check myself as a costume designer I would my my pride as a stylist would be searching for these iconic moments right like how okay I'm doing this movie I need an iconic moment and it's like no you don't get to make an iconic moment about a character who has no money like (laughs) They don't have money. What are you about to do? Iconic. Like, no, follow the script. And so, you know, it's it's one of the things that I respect that I think people also don't understand the difference between a stylist and a costume designer, you know, where you have to be a team player. You have to be collaborative. You know, my my prop master who people don't know you know when you see a phone on set if there's an actor talking on the phone the prop master is who gives that actor that phone you know so it's my prop master coming in every day and i'm on the phone and him you know giving me you know the heart symbol and us talking you know and then us going well what are their wedding rings look like well, what are you, do you are you thinking gold are you thinking white well i'm thinking they're gold they wear gold you know what kind of phone do you think they're apple people or they are they're definitely an android you know like when you start to go into production if you work in a wonderful environment you guys become a team you know ballers we were a family on shooter we were a family and so those are the things that make certain projects more special than others because you get this camaraderie between departments where you start to work as a team and you create this like these great opportunities you know on Atlanta I jumped in season two and you know the hair and makeup people already this family but then it was you know hair and makeup people coming to me and saying well what were you thinking and so us collaborating on that um I think those are really the things that make where you put your performance before your pride and you say, you know, this isn't about just you. This is about the entire canvas of the project. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're making the character come to life. It's on paper, but now person look like what's their like one one of my one of my favorite characters that I will always say that I created would will always be like one of them i have several but like one of my favorite ones i must say was ricky jarrett on ballers because john david washington is so the opposite of who ricky jarrett was you know i i created this thing off paper that you know through 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 the clothes him and I have become extremely close you know I've gotten a brother out of it but 
I literally would crack the joke of saying, you know, I'm going to tell these girls you are nothing like Ricky Jarrett. Like, you don't want to wear these flashy clothes. I'm forcing you to do this. You rather just be in some regular sweats and a t-shirt and you're boring. And so it was to be able to put this character on him that he was nothing like in real life and then watching him become someone else. That to me was exciting because it was like you are not this person like it's so funny to watch him become someone else and when you are a team effort and you guys are on the same page i think it it's what makes certain things special yeah yeah that that must be a thing like to literally see like step into this other character yeah um Turning to somebody completely different, like where you're just like, knock it off. Like, you know, right? Yeah. yeah. What about um, Atlanta? I love that. Um, so how did you, that must have been fun too. Because I feel like the characters, are, I mean, I guess all of them are fun for different reasons, but so quirky. So how did you, how did that happen? Atlanta, Atlanta was you know, again, it was like being the new kid in school because everyone had already known each other. And so, you know, it would be so funny because, you know, Donald is not earned. And then Lakeith is hilarious because literally, so another prime example of like something that influenced me, you know, I have been obsessed with the movie Something New with Sanaa Lathan since the movie first came out. And one of the things that I was obsessed about that movie was when she went to her cotillion and she went back to get her boyfriend and he was in the garden. And the only person that was around was the guy with the mariachi band jacket. And so I remember on Atlanta on the Drake episode, saying Lakeith Lakeith loved like weird ideas and so it was like how do we do something that's like crazy but makes sense but it's cool it's new years but he wouldn't wear a suit and I was and I pulled a mariachi band jacket and showed it to him he was like oh my god I fucking love it and he like put it on and everyone was like this is hysterical like he literally had on a mariachi band jacket with like adidas and so you know it it was about creating that and like you know um you know paper boy like how do you brian michael tyree like brian tyree henry is you know he brian tyree henry is a classically trained actor like you know, he is nothing, he, there's nothing dope boy about him. And so like to make, to make Brian into this like person who is a street hood, Atlanta drug dude with no money. It's like, you really gotta, you gotta, and I went to school in Atlanta. Like I went to college in Atlanta. So it would even be me going to Hero, the director, or to, 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 um, Donald and saying, so, you know, I think Paperboy, like, 
he, you know, he's got, he's got a song. He'd be a little bit popping. So I know they don't have money, but maybe people are giving them free stuff now. So that's how we get away with having this and them going, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause when I, when I used to get free stuff then I would give it to my boy, yeah, 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 let's do that. And so it's just creating these moments that where it's not about doing what's iconic just for you, but doing what makes sense overall and if you're lucky it'll turn into something great you know I literally watched Lena get her Emmy Donald get two Emmys jump back on the plane to go shoot season two and Donald coming back to work and they had bring your Emmy to work day and everyone could like take pictures with the Emmys in the office and so you know for me I think it it became where that show is not about the clothes. It's about being a part of a of a movement. Like, you know, Atlanta, people were like, this is a show for the culture. And so for me, Atlanta became special because it it was it was it was for the culture. Me going to school in Atlanta, me working with music artists, like I felt that I made sense on that project and I had something to add to what was already great. Right, right, yeah. No, I mean, because how many people would necessarily have been able to all of those different experiences from different, like you had experienced the culture in different ways. And so able to like pull from your memory bank toolbox and bring it all in you know um and and also bring in your own sensibility which make things make sense and know that okay that's what would have made sense for an upcoming artist at that point in his career you know like that's a very specific thing to us to know and understand so that's you know and for production, it was great because, you know, my, my producer was just like, you know, this isn't ballers. Like, we don't have a bunch of money, but I'm like, here's the great part about using someone like me. I was a stylist. Like, we can get Adidas. Like, I basically helped on season two build the relationship between Donald and Adidas by bringing Adidas in. Like, hey, I'm doing this show can you guys help me get some product? And then through that, Donna was able to like work his deal out through Adidas. So, you know, it's basically, you know, being able to like cultivate relationships and to like, you know, make things make sense. Like they would really give free product to a music artist that's popping and, and him being a music artist that can say, you know what, that's accurate yes, let's do it. And then for production, it makes sense because it's saving production money because we're getting, I'm getting the stuff through product placement. And so, you know, again, it goes back to the business of it all, right? Of like, how do you make your budget the most effective by using and cultivating your relationships to do what's needed? Right. And on top of it, knowing that a brand like like understanding the brand and whether it would even make sense for someone like you know because that is something in of itself I mean, sometimes the brand doesn't 
make sense. You can't just like throw any brand on, on anyone. You know, it has to make sense for the story. It has to make sense for who it is and the situation. It's just bringing a lot of information into those. It's like it's like it's like it's like saying, okay, what if 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 you knew a young guy in the military needed a military boot? What's a cool version of a military boot? A Yeezy boot, like you know, it's it's basically and 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 it's it's definitely figuring out culturally what makes sense. Like I remember one of the producers saying, "That's crazy. Would he be able to afford, you know?" Yeezy boots and it's like yeah because the Yeezy boots are 200 and something dollars and Merrell's and all those other tactical boots are 200 and something dollars yes he would like you know it's it's being able to to get out of your feelings and not say I mean because they're cool no it's not about because it's just cool does it make sense you know what I mean like you're looking at the resale value of a Yeezy boot. If he bought Yeezy boots online, when they dropped, they would be $200, not the $800 version that, you know, they're reselling at Stadium Goods. Like, yes, it does make sense. And then the producer going, okay, uh, uh, okay, all right. And then how do we get a tactical look? G-Star jeans have great, you know, they have great jeans that look like tactical pants. And so instead of using a more blousey pant that's not flattering to someone's body, because Ryan Phillippe used to be like, I, I like the look of a, of a, of a tactical um, coat, but I don't like the fit. Okay, so who, who makes something similar like that and fit that makes sense? It's like, how, how do we make that make sense? And so, you know, researching the brands and, 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 and looking and going, okay, who do I think I can, I can make this make work? You know what I mean? We're shooting right now in Philly. My movie takes place in Philly. Okay, so guess what? I'm on a sports movie. Let's head up Mitchell and Ness. You know, I've literally been, I've had a relationship with Mitchell and Ness since I was styling Angie Martinez. I used to like custom all the guy jerseys and make them girl jerseys for her. And so again, it's, it's, it's all about where you are, what, what's accurate. What, what, what can I sell Philly in the clothes? How do I sell Atlanta in the clothes? You know, having the conversation with the director going, I know you say they're broke, but let me tell you why people in Atlanta that don't have money, don't have money. Cause it's on their feet. You know what I mean? Like keep keeping it real. Like they're broke, but they don't look broke. Have you been in Lenox mall? They got money. They got money. They got trap money. You know what I mean? Like, Right. So, you know, just being able to have those conversations to where, you know, to make what you're trying to do make sense. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, also, are there any, um, any designers uh, in particular that you just, whose work you love or that you just, that you like to use? I think it depends on the project. I think... I think it depends on what's needed. I think I think it depends on the content of what I'm working on. And I really like being challenged and not known for one thing. Mm-hmm. Like I think I like going from a military show to a high fashion show to back to a military show to a sports show 
to a sports movie, to a military movie. Like I think everything is, I think everything is very much on a line. Like my next goal is to do something period. Like I'm like, I want to do, I want to, I want to do something period because you know, those are the things that like people respect and it's, and it's super hard to do. And, you know, it takes, you know, you have to be resourceful and, you know, know how to source, you know, pieces, you know, that you can't just buy them. You know what I mean? I remember um, one of the designers that we share the same agent who's, who I've become very friendly with does stranger things. And I would be like, where are you getting this stuff? Like where, where are you like how are you finding this she's like well we build some we did it like you know it's it's all about you know asking questions and just always trying to challenge myself to to step out of my comfort zone i was going to ask you you were ahead of me i was going to ask you what your next goal was um but yeah uh gone to um well obviously everybody knows ruth carter who did um Panther. But it was so interesting. I went to a, uh, a panel and I didn't really know that she was on and I didn't really become familiar with her until recently. So I didn't even know all that. around a really long time. Like she's done all of the classic Spike movies. Yes. Incredible. Um, so Sharon Davis. Miss Sharon is another one that's like and Miss Sharon is a, like, I, Sharon Davis is one of those people that whenever someone speaks about her, they have nothing but beautiful things to say about her because she's just an amazing person and she's done impeccable work. She's another one who has just like, you know, if, if you're not familiar with her, you should look up some of her stuff. I mean, she's done some classic projects, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there, there's literally, there's not that, I mean, and you would think for all the, for all the years of film and television being out there, there's not a lot of minority department costume design, department heads and or costume designers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's literally a small coalition of designers and Ruth Carter is definitely one of the, 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 the originals who spearheaded, you know, doing things that, you know, no one even knew we could do. You know what I mean? Like she was a costume designer before people didn't even knew what costume designers were. I wish I could remember the name of the person who did Girlfriends because I listened to, I can I, I, I am be it for you. I am be it for you. I listened to a podcast and it just gave me, I mean, even, you know, I mean, working in the space I work in, you know, obviously we, we work in music, but it's still something that you don't really put a lot of thought into until you speak to, you hear people who actually do the work and you make everything come together and make these like characters come to life, you know? And I see Beverly. Stacey Beverly did Girlfriends and Cliff Chally did five episodes, but Stacey Beverly did 144 episodes. I listened to a podcast or something and it was so interesting just her talking about, I wish I could, this is so crazy because I listened to the whole thing, but spoke about just each character and 
and who each person was and why they would wear this or that. And it was so interesting. And so now that it's back on Netflix, I mean, you know, when we were younger, I didn't even look at it. I took it super for granted. But now I'm like really paying attention and noticing each of these looks. You should really look up also Sharon Davis. Like she's done Dream Girl, she's done The Help, she's done Django, like she's done like, you know, classic, like classic pieces that, you know, just you know, she's legendary. Yeah. Period, period is the next, my next, my next goal. It's like to do something, period. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I have no doubt it'll happen because the way that your path has gone, you know, I think what you said is so key. With this, it's like, it's really, each time you work, or each time you do something, you focus on what you have in front of you and you really put your all into that. It's like, that's what leads to, people see what you're doing, you know? They see what you're capable of. That's, that's what speaks for itself. And that's what takes you to the next opportunity, you know? I remember one day, John David and I were, we were, we were just, you know, when we started Ballers, we were both brand spanking new. And we just, you know, his mom, you know, Pauletta Washington has basically like helped guide us through, you know, some of the, like, it's so funny because she always says, look at you guys now. Because we would literally sit in the kitchen and like stress over what our next jobs were. And I remember one day, his dad came downstairs and he was like, what are you guys talking about? And I, I literally was like, this is my moment. I can ask. And I was like, what was your best job? Like, what was your best movie? Like, what was your best project? And his answer was my next one. Okay. And I was like, okay, this is why he's the best. Because I would have never thought of that answer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and then his you saying that <laughs> my next one he thought it's so cool calm and collective i was like this is why he's the goat that's why boom it takes the, it takes the pressure off your 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 expectation like even pauletta like you know i'll be like i want to win awards i want to she's like don't chase awards don't chase don't chase the awards like it's not about the awards it's about the your body of work and so, you know, I would have never thought that me doing the military version, you know, of, of, of wardrobe from an army Navy store from popping them things would help me be able to do shooter, the TV show, which then in turn would help me do a Tom Clancy movie. Like it's literally your next one. Like everything that you do is is about building to get to the next spot it's it's you should definitely stay present and definitely absorb where you are but it's about getting to the next one like it's you can't i can't chase my past like if you would have asked me 20 years ago if i thought i would be here you know i i again that's why i stick to it's none of your business like it's not how you how you get to that part that's not your business it's what is your goal 
yeah. what are you trying to get to? You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that's why I, I think it's so important to have these conversations because I always say for people who, you know, these are unconventional career choices. So it's not, yeah, it's not like you go, you know, you work somewhere and then you get promoted and, and you rise through these like ranks and you know what the next job description is already. It's like, it's so, you know, it's a, it's a different type of a path. And a lot of times it's like, you're creating your path for yourself. And it's a combination of being really smart because you're, you have to know what to absorb. You have to be strategic. So it's funny because JD's younger brother, like we, we literally, like there's a joke because we were all like in a, in a group text and they were like, how's it going? You know? And I was like, I'm, I'm looking forward to my next one. He was like, that's not how it goes, dude. I was like, your dad said the next one. He said he didn't say it while he was in the last one. I was like, he didn't, but that's all I know is that it's my next one. <laughs> like I'm using this one. Okay. I'm using that. Like this one can suck because my next one is my, my best one. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just like, I so, I so did not expect that answer. You know what I mean? It's like, you're waiting for like, you know, it's, you're thinking it's hurricane. It's, you know, Malcolm X. It's, he's like, no, it's, it's my next one. Like, I, okay. I haven't done it yet. See, I'm taking, I'm, listen, that you just transferred that over. I'm going to start using that one. I love that. And develop the craft and just keep getting better and just make, keep making the right, you know, using that information and distilling it to help make the, you know, make choices as you go. So that's why it's like the best way to, or I think one of the things that's helpful is just you have to listen, hear what other people's stories have been because it really helps you, you know, to just kind of understand that it's not even just how you do it. It's also your mindset and how you approach it. And like what you're saying, that it's really about being present and making sure that each time you're doing whatever it is you're doing, you're focused on what you have that task at hand and making sure that's amazing because that's what you're going to it's not about like oh I'm gonna skip past this because this is only this much it's only this budget and this might not be as important it doesn't work like that because it all will matter (laughs) you know it's it's also it's also my the the most recent hard lesson that I've had to learn in this right especially when I switched over to movies is you know there's a space of people that have been in this industry for over 20 plus years, right? And so what those producers did 20 years ago is currently a HR nightmare, right? Like I've experienced someone talking to you so crazy, right? That literally (laughs) you're watching them do it to other people and no one's saying anything and then it, they get to you and they do it to you and you know you live in a time where we're not taught we're basically taught that like if you do speak up it could cost you your career right and so if i 
if if I say something, I could be getting myself blackballed. Or if I speak up, I'm going to be labeled difficult. Or if I address this, then I've become a problem. And what I'm learning, because, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, well, I would never let anybody talk to me crazy, right? And so I remember them talking to me crazy. Mm-hmm. And... I, I, I went home and I slept on it and I was like, no, I can't allow this to happen because this is, this is, I, I, I can't do this. Like, he's literally going to talk to me like this for the rest of the project. And so sometimes what I've learned in the past year is things don't always merit a response at that moment. Right. And so it's a matter of it took me to the next time for him and I to have a conversation for him to say, you know, didn't I tell you don't email me? Well, you and I can't talk to each other because you don't know how to speak to me. (laughs) Well, you're the only person who has a problem. Okay. Well then I'm uncomfortable. And so, you know, I've had to learn each time how to adapt in an environment. And so it's why it's so important for us to, because no one teaches us this, right? You're literally learned, like as you're, you're taught as a young age, watch your mouth, don't speak out of turn, you know, don't cause any waves, don't do this, don't do that, you know, and it's, which is why privilege is privilege for certain people, right? Because certain people are raised, you don't get to talk to me like that. Or you don't tell me what to do or, you know, and so I realized in an industry where they are used to talking to people crazy in my household, you don't talk to people like that. And so it's also very important for you as you're building a career to make sure that you're building one that you can stand on because I don't think I could live with myself every day if I thought about all these things in, in, in a full capacity and created all these iconic moments just to sell my soul to let allow people to treat me poorly right. or speak to me poorly because that was that's what people did 20 years ago. You know, right. it's, a, it's a new time. We're in a new age and... Right they got HR for a reason. And so, yes, you know, you don't get to speak up as an assistant all the time. And as the intern, you'll, you'll probably get treated poorly. But one of the biggest lessons my father taught me in running a department was you never ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's about building all these experiences as you go because no one's, no one's teaching us this. Right. They don't teach you in school. How, how do you deal with a person that talks to you crazy? Right. That's not a class. It needs to be a class. There's an art to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And right. so right. everything is an experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess you, and then you're kind of touching on, um, I guess, so being a woman and being a Black have you felt, has that, impacted along the way have you had any experience or anything 
you felt were a result of that? Of course, of course. Um, being a woman, being a woman of color, you know, I've, I've, I've been on set and, you know, I, I remember the first time I worked on a job in California and, you know, one of my friends knew I was at work and so they were speaking to me in Spanish and the, the, the person who worked for me said, well, what are you? Because they were speaking Spanish. Well, what are you? And it's like, I don't even think you're allowed to ask that question at work, you know? So, you know, I do, I have noticed that people of color get treated differently at work. You know, if a woman of color, you know, tells a, a white male, you don't get to talk to me like that. You have an attitude problem. You're, you're problematic. She's too sassy. She's this, she's that. She, you know, you, you, they don't, or, or people love telling you what you deserve. This is your first project. So you don't, you don't deserve this or you don't deserve that. And so the great thing about what's happening now is exposure. You know, they now have inclusion where you have to hire a certain amount of people of color. As much as I don't want a job because of the color of my skin, I do want an opportunity that everyone else gets. Exactly. And so, you know, we're just, we're living in different times and the way things were wasn't working. And so as hard as it may be, you know, I've been on projects where I'm the only person of color. Mm -hmm. And... You, you know, is it my responsibility to help bring in other people of color? Yes. But do I hire someone just because they're a person of color? No, mm -hmm. because we're also in a fine time of if you do get that opportunity to walk that walk, are you prepared to walk that walk? Are you going to get in there and be on time? Are you going to be respectful? Are you going to be rolling your neck when you talk and rolling your eyes and having an attitude every time you don't like something or you don't like someone? I tell the people in my environment, if you don't like somebody, that sounds personal. If, if you happen to get along with your coworkers, that's a bonus. Like we're not here, we're not here for friends. And so we're here for business. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard to take your emotion out of things, but when they're expecting you to be so emotional, we're not allotted the same opportunities that everybody else is. We're just, we're just not, we're not, right. we just, we don't get that same leniency. And so how they say you have to work twice as hard and be twice as good and, 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 you know, go above and beyond. It's the truth. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, thank goodness we are, you know, times are different. People are able to speak up and we can speak on these things because before this was all happening, but we weren't speaking on it. And we weren't even blackballed. You literally could be blackballed. Right. Like if I, I really said what this producer on a particular project did to me, I could potentially be blackballed, which right. is foul as hell because it's like livelihood. That's you, don't get to, you don't get to, yeah, you don't get to talk to people like that. Like, and that was, but. 
there for so long, but now there's accountability. Now people are being held accountable. So now people need to think twice, you know, you know they speak a certain way or do certain things. So it is, it is good to see that, you know, even though there's so much going on, that's just, it feels so chaotic, but at least that has made a difference. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like we've heard a lot and I don't know if you can speak on what you're working on now in Philly or do we have to wait? Um, <laughs> um, I think I'm allowed to say what project I'm on. Um, so I'm working on the new Adam Sandler movie produced mm -hmm. by LeBron, and then LeBron, it's called Hustle. Adam Sandler plays a recruiter for the 76ers. Oh, wow. And, um, and so the reason we're shooting the movie in two parts is because it's a huge basketball movie. And with COVID, you can't have so many people interacting. And so literally we have to break it into two parts where we're shooting most of the main actors now and then we're um shooting the rest of it in 2021 got it okay right now it's gonna go on until for how much longer so we on my last week of shooting this first block is um i finished the first week of november and then we come back in 20 i think the summer of 2021 and finish it and so there's a big gap in between um but but we're shooting most of the um one-on-one -on -one actor scenes first right and it's um it's a it's a netflix film okay nice that's exciting that's interesting that it's, I mean, it's just that that figuring, you know, out how to, how to film. Um, but do, do you feel that, that, that like kind of, that feel like an interruption, like in terms of your flow to have to break it up at all? I, I don't look at it that way because I, I'm taking it as in, it's what's safe for now. Right. It's what's going to keep us safe. Right. And so I rather I rather do what's safe than do what's reckless and then potentially you know put the film industry in jeopardy of a shutdown for another, you know, 5 to 6 months. Like Everyone who's now currently in production, and there's tons of projects in production. You know, they're shooting The Matrix in Germany. They're shooting, you know, um, Avatar in, 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 I think, Australia. You know, they're shooting tons of projects in Canada. Every, anyone who's in production right now basically has a responsibility to be safe and to be productive, to keep people employed, right. you know, to keep things going to you know you literally have to think about you know if if i decide to go to a bar and have a drink and come back and you know i could potentially infect a coworker who may have a grandmother at home like you just have a responsibility to keep yourself and others safe because there's money attached and contracts in place and so much attached to everything. So I think 
people need to I mean, listen, I, I've, I've had my, my cousin's mother has passed from it. Like people, whether you believe it or not, do you want to risk the chance of costing someone else their life to prove your point? Right. Well, I, we- I personally do not want that. You know, I know someone whose co-worker's niece went out to a party in Atlanta, came back home, infected her grandparents, and her grandfather died. Like, I just don't want that kind of, oh. it's not worth it. You know what I mean? It's just not, it's not worth it. None of it is It's not. Yeah, I mean, we all at this point, I feel like have been touched in some way or another. Whether it's our, someone in our family or, I mean, our own family. You know what I mean? Someone else. Yeah, friends. So whoever these people are who still don't believe in it, I don't know. But at least at the very least, like you said, like have the consideration of thinking outside of yourself. You know, but apparently not everybody thinks that way. So I'm just it's just quick and then you just like whatever comes to the top of your mind. Okay, so Nikki Mike or Cardi B. <laughs> Okay, wait. So what? What? What am I picking? What am I picking? Just whatever, whichever one. For whatever reason, Cardi. Cardi. Pick Cardi. Okay, Cardi. Or Mary J. Blige. Shantae or Mary J. Blige. Shantae or Mary J. Ooh. <laughs> Everyone does the same. Come on, Nicole. That's so hard. No. No. I know. I'm going to say Mary. All right. Heels or sneakers? Sneakers. Um, okay. City or sub. suburbs okay coffee or wine uh, you gotta throw a tea option in there oh. um, <laughs> um i don't drink coffee but i don't drink wine but wine sounds like more fun oh my god i'm yeah oh my god you don't need anything in the morning i'm like- addicted I'm addicted to green tea from Starbucks. <laughs> I was about to say, like, if I could just, I drink a cup of coffee every day and I need it to just be coherent, to have a coherent. Yeah, like, yeah. I need, I, I, I drink green tea. Like my, I don't drink coffee. Okay. So like green tea is like kind of my thing. Okay. Maybe I will add that in next time. Um, what is your favorite city in the world? My favorite city in the world is Positano. Oh, okay. Have I been? No, I haven't been there. That's South Southern. You gotta go. Yeah. I have to go. The Amalfi Coast is one of the most 
beautiful places I've ever been in my entire life. Like it's 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 like it's a it's a postcard. The people are kind. The it's just it's it's just amazing. It's like yeah, it's just amazing. You gotta you gotta you gotta go. The Amalfi Coast as a whole, Capri, all of it. Yes. No, I've always wanted to go. I mean, I've, I went to North Italy last year, to like five different cities that we didn't go south. And I said I wanted to go back. Um, and just, I love I love Rome. Yeah. Like at any time, like when I was when I was working, I lived in Germany for five and a half months mm-hmm. and shooting. And the, my first weekend, I ran to Rome, mm-hmm. and then. Um, I literally was able to experience the Amalfi Coast and I was just like, this is like literally any, any worry that you have is like, this is (laughs) gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, New Yorker. God, why would you make me choose between those two? Um, LA. Okay. Um, ooh, how long did it take you for, for, um, like, did, did you have to grow into that or were you like done with New York and like, when did no, you? No, you know what it is. So, so, so you know what it is? I'm always a New York girl at heart, right? Like I always, like I, I still get sad when I leave and I see the skyline out the window, right? Like I'm always a New York girl at heart. Yeah, LA just gives you opportunity as a New Yorker that I feel like allows you to move at a pace that like you can literally run circles around people because in New York it's so hard, right? Like it's so everything is so like got to do the work you got to be you got to you got to be this person you got to be hard you got to be you know good you got to be greater that by the time you go into LA you have this confidence that you're just like I got this and so for me I just live a calmer lifestyle in LA Mm -hmm. like yeah you just you you drive everywhere, you know, I spent all of quarantine in LA, you know, um, my family was in New York, but, you know, my house is in Jersey, but, you know, I was able to hike, clear my mind, you can eat healthier, there's more healthy restaurants there, so, yeah, I will always love New York, but for right now, what I need at this stage in my life, is LA for me. When I used to come to LA in like 2003, so you figure 17 years ago doing 50 videos, we would spend about a week or two in LA and it would be like the time just went slower. Like you'd be like, why are the days so long here? And then you're like, so far from home. And then it's so different from like, what you're used to and everything seems so far so when you know I, it's for me back then I was like okay I don't mind coming there for a week or two shoot some videos stay in Beverly Hills stay in West Hollywood go back about your business but then when I came and it was like no you're gonna live in the outskirts 
you're gonna like you don't live in west hollywood you live close to where you work and then i'm shooting in santa clarita you know what i mean and you're like seeing all these mountains and you're like oh okay there's all these different parts now that you're like la is not just hollywood boulevard or sunset boulevard or you know what i mean and you know my friends my friends telling me you know if you move to woodland hills i'm never coming to visit you and it's like wow what's wrong with woodland hills it's far like you know what i mean you start to learn what what areas are what and what's convenient to what you need to go to you start to adapt it's not easy which is I feel like I'm grateful for the work that I did on the East Coast because it prepared me to be able to come there and have all the tools. You know, I remember the first, the first, uh, no, season two of Ballers when I took over the department. You know, they were they were adding scenes and they were like, "Well, we're gonna add this and you're gonna add that." And they were like, "You know, are you good? Do you feel like you have everything you need?" And I was like, "Do we have money?" And they were like yeah, we'll give you the money to do it. I was like, oh, then I'm, then I'm fine. Like right. I can do anything with money. Whereas like, you know, when you come from, you know, doing certain type of jobs, when you're like helping your friend who's an artist do his video, it's like, I want to do this, but I got $5. You right. know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's, it's a lot different. So, you know, so my my it was my answer was LA, but it came with an explanation, so I feel better about it now. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, no, I feel like all of these are hard to choose from, really, which is what kind of why I asked them, because the reality. Is, like, like, well, you know what I mean? <laughs> even even though I did, I did do, I did get to go to a Sade concert, mm-hmm. and literally. Bad Joe and Lorena sat next to me. I'm super cool with Lorena and, and love Joe. Joe stood up the whole concert. Like, it was the funny. I was like, who would have thought that Fat Joe was this obsessed with Sade? But I've had some of the most fun times with, I'm really good friends with Angie Martinez. And so we've had some really great times with Mary. And so I'm I just out of loyalty. I had to say Mary. Oh, that's a hard but Yeah. I know. I mean, I feel like, yeah, we need both in our lives is the reality. But it's funny because I need both. A lot of people and a lot of, like, as hard as it is, I think almost everyone has said Mary. So, really? That's, that's amazing. You have to choose. Yeah, and I think I agree. I mean, because she was just a part of our lives. I mean, Sade, love, but like Mary, she's like, oh, wow. It's for the culture. It's for the culture. Like, These are the first girl we saw rocking with, with, with hoop earrings and like feeling it. Like, you had, like yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our own version of almost all the looks. Yeah. You know what I mean? We tried our own Mary. We tried to do our own Mary. Yeah. No, that was good. And thank you so much. Like you're that much more real. 